You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 100 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. Yes, we are a week late. I apologize. There is a bit of an illness on my end. So unless you wanted to hear Roger talking to himself, which at least one person People would have appreciated. People would pay money for that. Let's just be honest. <laughs> but also, some of you might notice, if all goes well, this issue may be out on Wednesday because Roger got a visit from the technology fairy. Well, <laughs> That's because the last technology fairy kicked me in the nads <laughs> when we had to switch up our recording setup before for the folks who, again, don't listen to our gaming podcast. When we had that terrible mishap with our final episode there, I decided to hell with it that I was going to be changing some things up and basically stepping it up because I couldn't rely on the technology I'd been using before the virtual cables, which in and of themselves are phenomenal, but have not been updated for a couple of versions of the operating system so i actually broke out and bought uh, a a really good mixer and a new mic that i had to use which is too bad because i really like the other one but still this one is pretty good too and uh, and then it was just a matter of actually getting the damn thing to work (laughs) i'm not a sound engineer so but this is our inaugural episode so if it doesn't sound good just know that it will get better uh, it's not going to sound good between my terrible voice. And oh, Jesus. Mine isn't doing <laughs> that much better. Your pain meds. Yeah, really. Because whatever you had, apparently you managed to pass it along by email. <laughs> Fantastic. But I've so got anyway. pain meds to make me happy, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> what we're looking at here for our special 100th issue, and you know, we went back and forth trying to figure out what we were going to do. We had a plan. We didn't have a plan. Had to come up with I a had a plan. plan. Let's be very honest. I had a plan months ago for mine. You, however, were a slack ass and just didn't think of something until the last minute. Because I didn't have to think of something until the last minute. Semantics. Come on. (laughs) But anyway, what I thought we would do is look at various high-profile comic books on their 100th issues and compare, you know, where they are today, where they were then. And it's an interesting look through several different eras of, you know, comic history. And we're starting off back in the early days, back in the 50s, actually. Um, Had a lineup here that consists of Superman, Flash, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And it was really, really interesting to see how some of those old school comics operated back then because they're pretty much indistinguishable from, from anything going on today. Well, what's funny is that, again, like I I remember back when I was reading comics, which wasn't this old, obviously, Um, (laughs) you can make all the cracks you want, you know, as well as I do, it wasn't that old. Um, But these were the ones that, you know, us as collectors aspired to get in so much as we could, obviously, because even then the cost was ridiculously high. But like I, when I started collecting, I I was working towards getting the the older X-Men, especially in some other titles as well. And, um, and I was younger, so it was a lot easier to read without rolling my eyes kind of thing. And even back then, if we're looking at, you know, eighties, very early nineties, um, I mean, we can look at stuff back then that wasn't the greatest either. Yes, Lee Field, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> as compared to now, I mean, we've had what I feel is just this astronomical leap forward in terms of the quality of the writing in comic books. And which isn't to say bad things about the old ones, just more critical of some of some aspects of that. And, and so reading some of these is just, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Now, mind you, we're not going to be breaking down oh, issue by issue. This is what happened. It's, like, it's not going to be our normal analysis of you know, every story and every character going on. Just kind of a general impression of what's, go- what's happening in these comics, especially since you know, all we did was read issue 100. So for most of the later comics in the list, we're, you know, we're jumping into the middle of the storyline. I have no idea what happened in issue 99. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> for some of them, I have no it. idea what happened in issue 100. <laughs> But looking at these old comics, it was such a different era where, you know, a lot of them were done as anthology comics. You picked up a Superman comic, you were getting three or four Superman stories in your 24 or however many pages it was for for your 10 cents. (laughs) Well, the thing, too, was that 
you can really tell when you're reading it too that unlike today i mean these were geared for much younger readers yep so whereas now it's it's different now they're trying to get in a lot of a much wider age group and even in a lot of of comics when you're looking at the maturity content the content that's in it and whatnot it's actually aimed generally at an older audience these here no no you're you're looking at you know some seven-year-old kid was putting his dime down on the counter for this to pick it up one of the things i find most interesting looking back at uh, you know these golden age comics is there wasn't really a sense of continuity yet you know there wasn't ongoing storylines there wasn't oh we can't do this because back in issue 57 you know they contradicted it they were just having fun writing the comics and like almost literally making up the you know their characters powers on the fly like some of the stuff superman and wonder woman and even flash were doing like you just made that up five minutes ago because <laughs> it was never done again well how often are you going to be using running across candles with your hands you know <laughs> wonder woman was probably not going to have to do that all too often but there was that one time and she pulled it off with charm <laughs> but it, it it was fun going back and you know looking back in history at some of this stuff though it, it was it and it is is one of those things where um i i certainly wouldn't do it all the time kind of thing but every once in a while to pick up the old ones it, it's fun it's just sadly it's it's like and we're gonna see that throughout a lot of these too a lot of these are the reasons why in that time um once someone was old enough they stopped reading comic books once you were in your teens you stopped reading it because it was mm -hmm. so geared towards kids whereas now they're geared hell you can you can progress through comics to the point where if you're as you're getting older there's more and more mature content that you can read so they're encouraging you to stick around regardless of how old you get whereas these here it's almost as if okay kiddo you know what you're you're in your teens now enough's enough go buy a freaking catcher in the rye or something else put put down the my little pony comic yeah really <laughs> there's that's that's for tart i know that's why you did that <laughs> so moving away from the 50s and into the 60s and 70s you know the the silver age of comics or realistically and it it's the Marvel age of comics is what, what you look at it here. Um, coming into the, the 60s, a lot of the Marvel comics, just like the DC comics, were anthologies. Except, you know, it wasn't, you know, here's four Superman stories. Just like, oh, here's four sci-fi stories. You know, this one's got Iron Man in it. This one's got the Hulk. And it's cool to see how a lot of these anthologies just kind of evolved into the ongoing comics. Um, what we're looking at here is basically Hulk, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, Uncanny X-Men, and Iron Man. And yeah, that's, that's a big list, but it was you know, spread across uh, over 10 years of comics here, going from uh, the early 60s into the late 70s. And coming out of that anthology mindset, you, you had a lot of the DC sensibility of, hey, here's one issue, tell one story. But you also had a lot of what really made Marvel of you also had these more complicated stories coming in, you know, the, the more complex characters, the, the, the characters that, you know, readers can relate to. I mean, sorry, you can't relate to Superman on just about any level. But when you got guys here like, you know, like Spider-Man, like the X-Men, that's really what made Marvel, you know, the juggernaut they were back in that day. And it's cool seeing this evolution because you start off with uh, – Back in 67, uh, it was actually titled Tales to Astonish, but it's essentially what we know today as the Incredible Hulk comic. Uh, it got retitled in issue 102, where it was your you know traditional old school single issue uh, anthology. And Tales to Astonish had previously been split up between Hulk and Submariner. So for issue 100, let's just do one story with the two of them together. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that <laughs> Namor has not changed one bit in all 55 Still, years. Hate the bastard. <laughs> that is consistent. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, but then as you start moving into, you know, the Captain Americas, the Fantastic Fours, especially Spider-Man and obviously X-Men, it starts becoming a little more long form. Yeah, you, you know, a lot of stuff is self-contained within, you know, one or two issues. But you see a lot of these building blocks that lead to these larger stories. Like, especially, I, we're going to get to X-Men in a little bit, but, you know, that was a pretty small story on its own that, you know, turns into something huge. But uh, what was your general feel of kind of this era? Well, see, what I found with this one, as opposed with 
if we look back again, say at that Superman and Batman, they had the theme of the contest for kids and both of them did it. And then when you're looking at the ones that you're talking about now, you had a lot of, let's just throw nearly every villain we can at them. <laughs> the Fantastic Four one. Yeah. Well, not just the Fantastic Four one, also the um, Avenging Spider-Man, or sorry, Amazing Spider-Man did the same kind of thing. And, and Similarly, we'll get back to that. Yeah, so there was a lot of, it, it was almost as if those 100s and, and the other ones too, it's, there. I didn't feel there was quite enough story. They thought of the 100, let's just give them insane action beginning to end nearly, with just fight after fight after fight. And so that's why I was kind of a little disappointed overall, not entirely, but overall that there, there wasn't quite enough, you know, story in there. But again, that was par for the course for the times as well. But you really see how they realized, okay, this is a big milestone issue. Let's try to do something important here. Like, like we're looking at Amazing Spider-Man. This was, you know, a really important time in Pete's life. You know, he was with Gwen Stacy at the time, really second guessing, you know, his role as Spider-Man, as he's done constantly over his yeah, really. entire lifetime. But especially here, because, you know, he's dating Gwen. He wants to have a serious relationship with Gwen. But Gwen still blames Spider-Man for the death of her father, and eventually he knows that's a bridge he's going to have to cross. And so we get – it's actually – I don't know if – I have to assume that they were aware of it, but it read an awful lot like the the issue that came out you know, a year or so ago when he had that dream sequence then of when he was doing – after Marla Jameson died. And he he was running into you know a lot of the old characters from his past. It, it was an interesting balance between those two issues. But – and then, of course, it ends with the, you know, the big change of, oh, he, he didn't remove his powers. He just grew four extra arms. But that, that was you know, a big story development, and that's, that story development went on for a number of issues after that. So they really used these issue 100s as a jumping off point you know, to really establish themselves for something later. Yeah, some of them, is, I'm trying to think of which one it was that I read. I'll find it as you're talking, where I was like, that's where it started? <laughs> it's probably X-Men, I'm saying. Give me a second there. Okay, keep talking. <laughs> I'll <laughs> well, find let's it. Ju- let's jump into Uncanny X-Men because it's, it's the same the same concept. Well, at the time, it was still called actual X-Men because they didn't. And Uncanny had been on the cover for, you know, a number of years. They just hadn't officially called it Uncanny X-Men. But for the purposes of organization, we're calling it Uncanny X-Men here. Yeah. And, you know, this is right in the middle of the Claremont era. And one of the all-time most memorable runs in all of comic history chris claremont running uncanny x-men and this was you know that big oh issue 100 let's do something huge and you had you know the old school x-men you know the original five with havoc polaris and professor x facing off against you know the all different x-men of you know wolverine nightcrawler colossus you know the 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 70s era team this huge fight you know turns out there were replicants and all kinds of fun stuff quite possibly two of the greatest developments in the history of x-men First of all, this is, uh, you know, once everybody gets rescued and the X-Men are now coming back to Earth from the satellite they were on, this is actually the issue where Jean sacrificed herself to save the other X-Men, which, of course, led into the whole Phoenix thing. So they said it's a, it was a very small plot, you know, not small, but you see in issue 100, they, they, they set up this plot point that, you know, 20, 30 issues down the line is going to become one of the hugest things in the history of, of modern comics or any comics, really. But then you also had one of my favorite developments. Issue 100 of Uncanny X-Men was the first use of the fastball special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not know that, but uh, was it Tom Brevoort on his Tumblr mentioned it last night, actually? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I noticed it right away when I read it. I didn't know that was the first time that it had been done, though. I would have thought it was a little earlier as well, but it kind of makes sense in terms of the pacing. Yeah, and then going back and reading it, it's like, hey, remember that thing we've been practicing in the danger room? I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I found what I was talking about, but it's going to be in the next section, so we're just going to wait. Okay. So uh, touching on some of the others here, Captain America, I really enjoyed that because it was that big, crazy Captain America story that you know we haven't seen since the 60s and 70s. And it's kind of the, 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 the concept that uh, Rick Remender wants to bring Captain America back to. So again, that interesting parallel of this is what Captain America was like way back when, and it's kind of the, the feel they're going for again. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Fantastic Four was just a big, fun issue. Avengers, 
it was important. <laughs> you could tell uh, <laughs> Avengers at this point in their lifespan hadn't quite been known for, you know, good storytelling. It was more like, hey, let's throw everybody's favorite characters together and do some fun stuff where they literally had every Avenger ever up to that point in this issue and just an absolutely insane story going on. But the one thing that rather unfortunately caught my eye um, this was during Hawkeye's miniskirt era. <laughs> Check out them gams. Oh, man. I was like, oh, my God. I forgot about that costume. And you wonder why we hate Hawkeye. Yes. <laughs> I actually you know what the Avengers was one of the ones that I stopped reading. I kind of. Oh, yeah. It, it, through it, and I was like, no, can't do it. I, I'm not going to even begin to say it was, it was good. I mean, come on. Indeed, most of the issue took place in Olympus where you had Hercules and Ares in ye old English yes. speak. And Which is always in on top of it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, Iron Man was just another you know, really fun issue, but as I said you, taking this group of 100 issues, you really get a good sampling of what made Marvel into Marvel in that era. Actually, Iron Man I thought could have been any old issue. I yeah. it was not a 100 issue at all. Like the other ones at least tried. Avengers failed, but it tried, <laughs> but you could tell that all the other ones were really trying. And I thought Iron Man was just, okay, let's just use this script yeah. that was handed in three weeks ago. And then still staying in that era, but actually jumping ship over to DC. Um, DC during this age was, was still kind of caught in the middle. They, they, they hadn't quite evolved to you know the marvel level of storytelling and you know that's why marvel really took off in the 60s and 70s it was something completely different but you did see at least one title at the time that was trying to do that and that was green lantern um during the 70s is when they actually paired him up with green arrow because neither of their comic books were selling terribly well so let's put them both in one you know have twice as many fans buying half as many issues but it worked out and it, it's really one of the all-time you know memorable to, uh, comic runs in DC history. Everybody remembers those Green Lantern, Green Arrow adventures because, you know, they were traveling across America and, you know, really seeing you know, the, the real people and, you know, how, how it affect, you know, how everything they did as superheroes kind of affected normal people. You know, it's not always space aliens. You know, sometimes there's drug dealers. Sometimes, you know, there there's, it was kind of, you know, uh, what we see from like, you know, Daredevil or Moon Knight or, you know, even Punisher, but with these larger than life characters from DC. And it, I really I've read some of those older issues and I, I can't say they're like, oh, they're so great because, you know, they're still they're so caught up in that style of the 70s. But I could appreciate that this was one of the few comics DC was putting out at the time where they were really trying to bridge that gap that had been created between them and Marvel. I actually didn't read that one. That's one oh. of the few that I didn't read. I'm sorry. I told you before. Yeah, I the, hadn't read the, them all. This, it was actually split into two separate stories. The Green, La the Green Lantern one was f completely forgettable. I absolutely loved the Green Arrow comic or the Green Arrow story in this comic. It had this ridiculously over the top, but perfect for Ollie flair of it was completely 70s with rock bands and bell bottoms and bare chests. I mean, it was so 70s, but. I think Green Arrow kind of belongs in the 70s, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> it's that goatee and mustache. Yeah. And as it, it has this weird mix of the big action that, that we've come to know during, you know, the 70s era of, you know, just this over-the-top stuff. But kind of that feel of the old school where pretty much anything can happen at any time, but grounded in the more 70s style of writing where it still felt relatable to a reader like oh you know there's a giant space alien showing up but the characters were relatable enough that it made the story a little more interesting to an average reader right all right so now we move into the 90s <laughs> dun 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 yeah, really. And I don't think I could have picked four comics that really epitomize the entire feeling of the 90s better than the four I have here. Granted, two of them technically came out in the year 2000, but I'm counting them for the 90s, darn it. <laughs> Just because of style. <laughs> yes. And all right, I'm, we're actually going to take these down one at a time because it needs to be done. <laughs> First of all, we have New Mutants with 
one of the worst covers oh of all time. <laughs> Where it's art. I mean, look at throughout. It's that's that was the problem with this. This is it's so distracting. Liefeld at his Liefeldiest. <laughs> yeah, it's so distracting that it, I mean, not that the story is that phenomenal anyway, but it's so distracting that you're trying to read and it's like, look at that foot. Look at that arm. <laughs> what is that sword doing? How does that make sense? So yeah. And yeah, this was a huge momentous time in comics. This was the last issue of New Mutants before it relaunches as X Force. And yeah, this was this was my era of comics, unfortunately. And yeah, people wonder why they stopped reading. But this was really when these landmark issues not only became a time to you know tell something, you know, new or really you know set up a new era for your comic. But it's, this is when it started being about selling as many issues as possible, as referenced by the fact that the background of the cover image says final issue about 97 times on this cover. Well, I, I'm not just selling as many, but it's selling out. I mean, when you're reading this, it's like, it's just, oh, oh. <laughs> we've said so much bad about Leafield already. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to start feeling I, guilty. I hate to say it, but it, especially at the time, I really liked the concept of what Nicieza and Liefeld were trying to do here of, okay, Cable is this warrior from the future and the X-Men's way of thinking didn't work. So he came to the past to train, you know, the new generation of X-Men, the new mutants, to train them to do the things that the X-Men couldn't do. That's a cool concept. It just didn't work uh -huh. at all for the entire period of its existence. I, I disagree, but that's just me. Plus, when you're looking at the logistic of like who they're bringing into and and all that, it was like oh yeah. But by by, I, by uh, the end of this issue, only two of the actual new mutants are still members of the team. <laughs> yeah, I mean the only thing that this was was important for, and that's what I was talking about before, is because this is the start of Uncanny X Force. So that's it. And hey, I mean, leave the uncanny out of it. Well, uncanny X Force is a good comic. X Force, whatever you want to call it. So <laughs> that concept—that's the only thing that this was important for. And and see, I used to like the New Mutants initially. I mean, way back in the day, kind oh, yeah. of thing. Um, but then things just went ballistic like this that just had no business all 90s being there. on you. Yeah, and that's around the time I kind of you know no, this is no longer for me. You actually, and a it was few before that other I people, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I actually would have started long, stopped long before that. Actually, all right. So next one I'm touching on here is Justice League America, not Justice League of America, Justice League America, because in the mid '90s, DC realized pretty much the only comics anybody was buying was Justice League comics. So they had like five different ones out. Be happy, Extreme Justice never made it to 100 issues because if you think this was bad, wow. <laughs> But this was coming out of, you know, they had the Justice League International, which was a huge hit uh, just prior to this era, actually. I think Justice League International stopped at least its iconic run somewhere around 92, I think, somewhere around there. It still kept publishing. It just wasn't any good anymore. So they were like, OK, everybody's liking Justice League International. Let's put out Justice League Europe and Justice League America and Justice League Mars or whatever they were doing. And my God, what a beautiful disaster this comic is. Made it about halfway and and I couldn't. I just it, it was just was not possible. I could not read any more of it. <laughs> I don't think any comic that we're looking at here better epitomizes costume design in the nineties than this. <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize that was supposed to be Booster Gold until about ten pages into the story. Yeah, really. <laughs> did, did did you at least? go through all the pages to get to the end I, I i flicked through them yeah but i didn't i i stopped reading halfway through because the writing was so disjointed so oh. <laughs> all over the place all over the map and then trying to be witty and have this banter going on everywhere and it was just it, it and again I, I kept reminding myself okay you haven't read them all maybe just maybe <laughs> this makes sense somewhere this makes sense and and so that's the only thing that i could imagine because otherwise it's just a, an absolute jumbled mess so did you actually see guy gardner show up at the end yes yes in his awesome costume <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find it now 
Give me a second here. It's the last page. Take your time because it needs to be taken in. <laughs> I might not have even flicked that far through because I, there was a point where I was like, oh, come on. Seriously? I, I, I know how much you love Guy Gardner. So oh. th this is something you, you need to make sure you see. How much I love Guy Gardner. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a guy thing, quote unquote. What the hell is that? <laughs> what, what that, is my friend, is the 90s. It just makes no sense. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you, you see what a beautiful disaster this is. And even DC and their readers realized it because shortly after this issue came out, they canceled their entire line of Justice League comics. And um, I think it was around 97 or 98 is actually when uh, they brought in Grant Morrison to write JLA. And as much as I dislike Morrison's writing now, his JLA back then was freaking amazing. So... Out of everything bad, sometimes some good comes out. After the forest burns down, there's always regrowth. Why is he wearing knee pads? What does he need knee pads for? You know. No, don't say that. Okay. It was the 90s. He's power sliding. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Next we have Spawn, which is one of the ones that did technically come out in 2000. But Spawn is, you know, one of those iconic 90s comics and, you know, not even going to bother trying to dissect what's going on here, but this issue of Spawn is an absolute perfect case study in 90s writing where they were always trying to, you know, oh, this is going to be really awesome. Oh, this is going to be really awesome. But not coming up with any thought or structure for how to get from point A to point B while still leaving a point C. <laughs> Because, it, as you see here, the, you know, this is a huge, momentous issue. Many important characters die in this issue. As far as I know, that they're all back alive again because it, it's comics. But <laughs> I read Spawn when it first started up. and it, Todd McFarlane's art was, of course, gorgeous. But it's kind of the same um, description I gave last issue when I was talking about Walking Dead and comparing it to Uncharted, where they come up with all... The really important things <laughs> like Todd McFarlane went, I want to have this awesome image of Spawn on a church roof fighting the violator. And he's like, OK, cool. What's the story? I don't know. <laughs> and that's that's what Spawn is. It's a series of really awesome snapshots with no context whatsoever to make them fit together properly. I never read Spawn. I, there it is. I it was after I stopped reading. after your time. Yeah. yeah. And I when I started reading comic books again, it was one of those series that I never bothered with. So I honestly I've got no context to go from. I I I think even as a teenager, the the target audience for Spawn, I think I made it maybe ten issues. Right. And then the last one is just X Men, adjectiveless X Men. Because X-Men number one is really the comic that conceptually launched, quote unquote, the 90s when it came out in 92, you know, with the huge fanfare and the multiple covers. And this is that's the issue when comics really became more about sales than any sort of substance. It was, hey, do you do big stuff, sell lots of numbers, do do multiple covers, you know, all the craziness. So it's interesting to see now here, I think in 2000, Marvel was still technically in bankruptcy at the time this comic came out. And it's just this weird mashup because it's written by Chris Claremont, who had come back to Marvel at this point. They said, dude, we need you on X-Men. It, it's a mess. Please write some X-Men. And he was still writing it like it was 1981. <laughs> so he's, you had the overly verbose, you know, character. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. That stuff worked great in the 80s. Didn't work so well in the year 2000. And then you had art by Lenel Yu, who is one of the best artists around today. And the actual art in the issue wasn't bad, but it still carried on that 90s style <laughs> of stupid costumes and, you know, again, just drawing something cool and, you know, figuring out the context later. So I just loved, again, it's, it's like a time capsule, this issue. Again, we're looking at also the same thing as with Justice League, everything all over the place as well. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't tight. And I mean, if you're going to try to juggle this many balls, it better be friggin' tight. You better have a handle on each of the stories. And there wasn't here. I mean, there wasn't. I said that that Claremont style of writing worked a lot better back in the day when, you know, every page was, you know, eight or nine panels. You could fit a lot of story onto one page. 
it's a lot harder to do that when it's you know these big splash images and you know you, you don't have as much as many seams to work with over the page of the comics. You just end up with a whole bunch of words splattered across a page where the characters are doing something completely irrelevant to the dialogue. Oh, and there's dialogue. Oh, there's dialogue. <laughs> God, I, I love you, Chris Claremont, but it, it took him a while to learn how to write modern comics. Just shut up. <laughs> even, even then, he didn't quite perfect it, but that that's a story for another day. Yeah. So then moving into the modern age... But not quite yet, because in 2006 is when Thunderbolts number 100 came out. And I was been a longtime Thunderbolts fan, though I will admit at this period, I, I had not been reading them because I I had just kind of started to come back into comics myself a couple of years previous. And I wasn't interested in picking back up Thunderbolts. I was more interested in, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man and you know New Avengers and a lot of the other stuff that was going on at the time. So picking this up and I went, wow, they published a 90s comic in 2006. <laughs> Because it's, again, written by Fabian Nicieza, who did the um, New Mutants that we just talked about. This was (laughs) – it took Thunderbolts a long time to come into the 21st century apparently because it was was still a 90s comic that came out five years too late. I – you didn't make me read a Thunderbolts this week. I, I didn't? <laughs> no, I couldn't. Did I, did. I tell you to, though? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to fault you at all. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't read it either. Because <laughs> I tried. I started to, made it about three pages in, and it just went flip, 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 flip. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Well, I tried to start, and it's like, I don't even have the context based on what's happening Oh, yeah, th- now. this is another one. Jumping right into a single issue out of nowhere. Yeah, not, Forget not about flying. Forget about it. Yeah. But then we balance that out because in the exact same year, Ultimate Spider-Man had its 100th issue. And this was when Ultimate Spidey was firing on all cylinders. This was when in, in the middle of Bendis' version of the Clone Saga where I remember reading this as it was coming out and having no idea what Bendis' concept was for this. And every issue was – you know, I was like, oh, plot twist. Oh, plot twist. But they were sensible plot twists and stuff like, oh, that – I love Ultimate Spider. <laughs> See, that's the difference between um like all of the other ones and this. Because reading one of these issues, what it should do is make you think, I have to go back and read all of those now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is a good one to just pick up as oh, issue a hundred, let me check this out. Cause you, you again you're jumping right into the middle of a story. And if I hadn't read the previous ninety nine issues at a previous point, <laughs> no, no, I, I would have been just as lost. No, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the issue should be good enough that as you're reading it, you're so engaged by it that you're thinking, I want to go back and read all of the other issues to get caught up and see what it is. Cause like with, with ultimate Spider-Man, well, I haven't gotten caught up on all of those. So I had read like how, whatever it was 50 prior to the final episode or issue kind of thing or whatever it was. Um, maybe even not that much, but I know that I still have a lot that I need to go back and read. I, I see what you're saying. Cause this issue started off with Peter Parker's dad showing up. At the front. It was great. Like, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Exactly. What have they been doing for the last 99 issues. <laughs> that's right. And so when you're getting all of that going on, that's when it was like, okay, I need to go back and read these. This has actually made me want to dig up a crap load of those old issues and read them all. Because if they're this caliber, I want to read them. Yeah. It, we've spoken about ultimate Spider-Man at length over the previous hundred episodes. So yeah, everybody out there knows, you know, we dig the comic and I always have. So yeah. Yeah. It was very good. But again, it just looking at all of these issues, you know, over the course here, it's so cool to see how the medium has evolved over, you know, it's 50, 60 plus years of of being around. It, It was really cool. I'm glad I thought of this idea to, to to just I hadn't intended for it to be like, oh, you know, this this really cool timeline of comics. But once I started looking at, OK, what what issue 100s were out there? I, I'm this was actually really fun. Yeah, no, I agree. It was it was a it was a nice retrospective going over the years mm-hmm. and looking at it today, though, with relaunches and, you know, everything going on. Um, 
Uh, they, they recently announced issue 300 is going to be the last issue for Hellblazer. And, you know, everything everything's new number ones these days. Uh, we just saw Walking Dead 100. Uh, Invincible is actually coming up to issue 100 uh, early next year. And, uh, you know, the, the, the indie stuff, you know, might still might still do its thing. But at least amongst the mainstream comics, I don't think we're ever really going to see another big milestone issue. Well, at the rate that they keep canceling stuff and rebooting it, no. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, I'm kind of okay with this because you know the big milestone issues are kind of getting back to that '90s mindset of instead of doing something you know really big and momentous, let's just you know do a big story. I mean, there's there's exceptions you know, like you know Spider-Man stuff was was really cool, but like even a lot of the recent X-Men, you know that. Issue four ninety nine was was good. Issue five oh one was good. What happened with issue five hundred? Like they're they're trying so hard to make these milestone issues, you know, really big things because it might be the only issue of that comic anybody buys that year, and so it loses a, a lot of you know what makes the comic good. And personally, I'm really pushing for a time when a comic's value is determined by how good the comic was and how important it was to the story instead of the number on the front of the issue. So while we may not be seeing these big milestone issues much at all in, in, you know, especially obviously in in the next couple years, but even beyond that, I'm kind of okay with that. The only exception would be that I would think of in in recent years would be F uh, fantastic four number 600. Mm -hmm. That was an exception where he did it right. And yeah. I mean, you mentioned The Walking Dead and I've given my thoughts on that and I think he did it wrong. Um, but it, it can but still it, be done It's right. so interesting though, seeing Kirkman, who is also writing Invincible, which I would love to get you to read, but you kind of have to read every single issue. <laughs> so, but seeing his build up to issue 100 there and it's working out so much better than it did in Walking Dead. Like, 97 issues, I can't think of a bad one yet. Uh, that's easily my be- my favorite Kirkman comic and still month to month one of my favorite comics every month and so I may and- be really happy when that gets to issue 100 because they've been hyping it up for over a year now like they- they've been going over the top but kind of in a satirical way they've been releasing teaser images of every single character dead they're actually titling the issue everybody dies <laughs> I think it's important too for if if people are new to the podcast to know we used to love The Walking Dead. Okay, you're like really, really like it. And it's just as of late feel that it's really lost a lot of steam. So when I insult issue 100, uh, remember it's coming from a really huge fan of the series. Mm -hmm. So uh, any final thoughts here, Raj? Are we going into what we've been reading or are we done? I was kind of thinking because of episode length, you might pass on that this week. But there's time. Okay. Hey, you're... That's right. You're not editing anymore. Who cares? There's just a couple that I really, really want to talk about. <laughs> All right. Then. So, so let me you... let me throw a couple out there real quick. All right. And since I just talked about it, uh, actually, Invincible uh, issue 97 came out last week. And on one hand, it was kind of a, a groaner of, oh, my God, I can't believe he just did that. But on the other hand, it was so brilliant. Like <clears throat> throughout its entire lifespan, Invincible has been a satire of superhero comics, especially modern superhero comics. And there's actually a scene where everything just goes completely out of control. Characters <laughs> are killing you know, their families. Like it's going completely ridiculous. I'm like, what am I reading? And then the very next page, it takes you completely out of it and tells a joke about like how over the top and ridiculous it had gotten. But in a way that's more of a commentary on modern comics than it is of anything like oh that that you know i wrote something terrible and i'm sorry so here's a joke about it it's it's a great commentary of you know if you're reading invincible by itself you're not going to enjoy it that much but reading invincible alongside you know any number of other comics you get a lot more out of it because you really get a lot of the the jokes that it's telling without you know telling an actual joke cool and uh oh god what were we talking about i'm completely blanking where we had mentioned in previous weeks how a really good comic can carry a story without the main character. Where, you know, if the supporting cast is good enough, the supporting cast has been carrying Invincible for darn near the past year. Invincible himself has had no powers for, I think, the last eight or nine issues. And 
the supporting cast Kirkman has created, he hasn't just created a, a supporting cast. He's actually created an entire continuous universe that has been built up around Invincible. He's had spinoff comics of uh, Tech Jacket, Astounding Wolfman, Brit. Uh, Image just recently started publishing a Guarding the Globe series that's basically the Justice League of Invincible's universe. And it, as much as we like to rag on Walking Dead, when Kirkman's still writing good, he is still one of the best in the business because it's showing how well he has developed all of these characters that with his main character, the title character, completely on the sidelines, the comic is still really good and really fun. Oh, I agree with you in terms of the man's abilities as a writer. I really, really do. And that's why I think that he's probably doing so well in that one because, and it shows again, like some comics only have so much life and there comes a point where you're going to feel that lull. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking that's what's happening in The Walking Dead, whereas it's not so much right now in Invincible. Mm -hmm. And then just uh, other quickly, Archer and Armstrong is actually something I've really been enjoying. Um, It's from Valiant Comics. And we talked about Valiant Comics a few months ago when uh, they had their big relaunch. Valiant Comics was a a company that popped up in the 90s and then went out of business when the 90s stopped being the 90s. And they they recently came back uh, earlier this year. And their first issue they came out, at least in my opinion, was absolute garbage. (laughs) So I was like, ah, whatever. But Fred Van Lenty, who we know most uh, notably from his Taskmaster miniseries, is writing one of their new comics called Archer and Armstrong. So I was like, you know what? I like Van Lenty's work. I've kind of passed off on everything else Valiant's been putting out, but I'll check out this one issue. Uh, it's now up to issue four, and I'm really liking it. Like again, it's not like oh, this huge, you know, it's it's not Taskmaster level of comic writing, but it's a fun comic. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I can kind of equate it to, and I'm currently drawing a blank, but it's just more of a a, a fun adventure comic than it is, you know, characters. And not, not every comic has to have this fantastic character development and, this, you know, this huge ongoing plot. A comic is allowed to still be fun. And that's what this one is. Uh, you have a teenage kid, Archer, who is basically the taskmaster and his skill set of, you know, he, he can, he knows all these, you know, martial arts moves and, you know, he, he's learned all these things, you know, just, you know, from his memory and he's been brainwashed by his parents who are part of like a cult and are trying to gather up these, uh, artifacts and change the world forever. And he bumps into Armstrong, who is a guy who's been alive for a few thousand years. And, just the two of them playing off each other. It's a lot of what I remember of Van Lenty when he was writing stuff, um, like when he was working on Hercules with Greg Pak and stuff like that. It's just a fun comic that I've really been enjoying. And it's actually kind of getting me to maybe give a lot of the other Valiant comics a try because while I may have hated Exo Man of War, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to hate everything they're putting out because Archer and Armstrong has proven me wrong there. I've actually got the first issue. I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to have to get on yeah, it. Check it out. You yeah. might like it. Might. Okay. All right. So you really wanted to talk about some stuff. So okay. as long as it's not issue ones for Marvel now, go ahead. Okay. Well, it might be a little about one of them, but just a tiny bit then. Okay. Um, <laughs> did you read 47 Ronin? Yes. Dude. Oh my God. Okay. I only bring it up because I'm going to say we're not going to talk about it. However, I'm yes. thinking what we were <laughs> planning on doing for this issue, I'm thinking we should bump that up to 105 when I am doing that issue. And then we can tack this on top with it. What do you think? And I'm sure would, we'll discuss it. It would you know, fit perfectly. A few months after that as well once it's wrapped, it's, uh, wrapped up. Yeah, it's but just but for yeah. this, oh my God. Oh, just, okay, just if anybody has not read it yet, pick it up we're gonna be talking about it in a few episodes if you know us this comic was written specifically for roger and oh my I. god this was <laughs> freaking awesome absolutely awesome okay i actually went back and got caught up on all of the batman arkham asylum issues have oh, you read any of those not a not a one those are the ones that are coming out every week they're they're not nearly as long and are they just kind of in general arkham comics or are they like Arkham Asylum video Arkham game City kind of thing. Um, you can read them having not played Arkham City. However, okay. but they're but they're more in that style and that continuity. Yes. Yeah, and oh. it it helps if you've read or if you've played Arkham City. Um, there's even two points where they say like the story continues in Arkham City from here. <laughs> okay, um, so it, you're you're kind of left hanging there if you haven't played Arkham City. Uh, but having played Arkham City. 
and Asylum, this makes me want to get back into Arkham City and play even more of it. Because I had never, I know I'm terrible. I never finished games. I hadn't finished it. I know you did. I've played enough. I collected all the Riddler yeah, really. trophies. I'm good. <laughs> but this was phenomenal. This was really, really good writing. The, um, the, 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 the the stories are mainly in trilogies. You have th- three issues dealing with certain characters and whatnot. Um, it was really, really good. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I read uh, 1 to 50. They're at 52 right now. And I encourage anyone, you definitely check this out if you want. It, it's a lot of fun. The characters are good. The art is phenomenal. It was pretty much made for tablets as well. It, it looks fantastic on tablets um, because you're reading all of it in landscape mode. And so um, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. So definitely mm. worth checking out. And then, oh, dude, all new X-Men number one. Oh. Save it. Save it. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm giddy. <laughs> it was so good. It was so unbelievably good and you've heard all the problems that i've had with um with what's going on with the consequences of which apparently there are none and uh and (laughs) the consequences is pretty much back to normal yeah and then the a plus v thing or whatever the hell it was (laughs) you actually read that oh dude that was so bad i looked at it so read the the you know the first page said oh it's the same as the versus series and went no thank you it was terrible 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 but oh this was so good it was so good and uh and the art freaking imminent oh man just knocked it out of the park seriously one of the best out there today that that was just oh i think the inking was a little heavy-handed to be honest um but the art the color, oh, and mm. and then the story, and Beast, oh, finally, oh, dude, oh. A, a, I want a fantastic Beast story, and this appears to be it. I, I We're going to obviously talk about it yeah, at next length, week. <laughs> but, uh, so I don't want to divulge story-wise, but if you have not picked it up, go pick it up. It was literally that good. And... Oh, oh, and I've been getting caught up on freaking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the um, the micro series one. Had you read all of those? I actually haven't. And every time I'm reading an issue and they go, oh, this story happened in the micro series. I was like, man, I should have read that micro series. Well, I'm working on them. I had already read some of them, but not all. So I'm getting caught up on them all. And it's it's as good as the ongoing series. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then lastly, the Manhattan Project number seven. Did you read it? Yes. Okay, that was a little too freaking weird at points, though. And, and I mean, I've been wait, doing. Wait, did, did you really just say that the Manhattan yes. Project yes. has finally yes, reached? Yes, I did. Too Does, weird. <laughs> doesn't that say something right there? I mean, <laughs> I found that it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it's just that it was late and I was medicated at the time, but it got a little confusing at points. Like even I'm reading it, going, "Okay, I've been keeping up." Perfectly. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to go back and like, did I miss something here? But yeah. When I, th- the- it, I think there was there was just. Um, Due to various issues, there was kind of an overly large gap between six and seven. So the story wasn't as fresh in my mind as it could have been. I I don't think that's it because I went back and I was looking through and it was like, no, no, no this is just a confusing mess here. Yeah. So, uh, although still freaking awesome, though. the freaking Truman orgy. <laughs> Did you look where it says it's actually written in blood Hickman on the desk? Yeah. I, I, as much as I hate to say it, I spent a lot of time studying the orgy scene yes, page you because had to. There, there were so many jokes hidden in there. Yeah, that's what I did as well. Um, oh, I mean, overall a good issue, but I found that there were a lot of parts that were, it, it probably made sense in his mind, but it sure as hell didn't in mine. I don't want to know what happens in Hickman's mind. Right, really. There is that. I, I am not worthy of Hickman's mind. <laughs> and that's it for me. Okay. So jumping into new releases, I, all right, I, I have to say, the past month, Marvel has absolutely been destroying it. Like, they're putting out so many issues, and all of them are freaking ridiculous. So, settle in. We got a long list for Marvel this week, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 698, the beginning of the Dying Wish final story arc for Amazing Spider-Man. And if Twitter is to be relieved, bring your Kleenex. If Twitter is to be relieved. Yes, believed. You did not say believe. You said relieved. I, I know, but I meant believed. Okay. Because Twitter does relieve itself often all over us. Yeah. 
It's disgusting. <laughs> we have Avengers number 34, which I think is the last issue. We have the new Captain America number one by Rick Remender. Looking forward to that one. We have Captain Marvel number seven, Dark Avengers number 183, the final issue, Deadpool number oh, two. Dude, did you read number one? Yes, I did. It was good. I know. What the hell? That's Thanks not right. Voluntarily read it. I'm so proud of you. Well, you told me I had no choice. It was that or Thor, so I chose that. That's got to say something about Actually, what I think. Actually, since, since we had to skip a week, I was kind of going to give you a break on both of them, but okay. <laughs> but it was good. Well, I mean, it wasn't phenomenal, but it was like, yeah. God damn, this wasn't bad. <laughs> anyway, we have Hawkeye number four, Indestructible Hulk number one, Iron Man number two, Journey into Mystery number 646, which is uh, the new creative team, and it's now starring uh, Lady Sif as the main character. Minimum Carnage Omega, been a little disappointed in that, that, that thing going on there. We have Ultimate Spider-Man 17, Ultimate X-Men 18.1, Uncanny X-Force number 34, which is the final issue of uh, uh, Final Genesis storyline there. Wolverine and the X-Men number 21 and X-Factor number 247. For DC. I can't believe you put Catwoman. <laughs> the only reason I put Catwoman 14 is because it's a, a death in the family tie-in. So it, it, it might be okay because it has Joker killing people. <laughs> Hellblazer number 297. Justice League number 14. Nightwing and Red Hood and the Outlaws number 14, which, again, wouldn't normally mention it, but death of the family tie-in. I wouldn't mind watching Joker beat the crap out of Jason Todd for an issue. And Wonder Again. Woman number 14. <laughs> I only say that because the other Death of the Family issues I've read have actually been pretty good. All right. All right. And rounding out from Dynamite, we have Voltron number nine. This week, IDW is putting out issue 11 for both Transformers series, More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise. And Image has yet another interesting new series launching this week with Clone number one. Which is? Some bizarre sci-fi thing where some guy's clone actually shows up, like, beaten half to death. I I, I looked at the the, 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 the the solicit and went, yeah, okay, that looks pretty cool. All right. <laughs> it, listen, if it's Image and it has a number one on it, I'm pretty much going to check it out right now because they haven't missed on a whole lot lately. That's true. That is true. So thank you so much for listening to issue 100 and hopefully the 99 previous. If not, because you're jumping onto this big landmark issue, I promise you we are even better than this on most weeks. <laughs> Ouch. This wasn't bad. What are you talking about? And uh, as I said, uh, we are going to try our hardest to have future episodes actually out on Wednesday. No promises because things happen. But uh, it'd be nice to have this podcast to listen to actually on New Comic Day. So going forward, we hope you'll be joining us uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, whenever it happens. But uh, thanks for listening. And as always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com. And we'll see you next week. You were kind of trailing at the end there. I was completely lost. Was like off the rails. <laughs> I was like, what, I had a point. What I, was I supposed to be doing? Oh, that's right. Closing out the damn podcast. <laughs> How about I just keep babbling? What about yeah, that? I was like, if I just keep talking, eventually I'll reach the end of this thought. Jesus. I, I dare not shut you up anymore. Heaven to Betsy, I might hurt your feelings.